Well, um, turn your Bible to chapter 16. We'll be there the rest of eternity. Genesis chapter 16. Um, I took some liberty to talk about some things at this juncture in the Bible because it's things we don't talk about in our homes. It's things we don't talk about with our children. It's things my parents never mentioned to me. It's things my parents never talked to me about. I'm sure it's things that you, at least older people, your parents never talked to you about. I don't know where you've talked to your children about it, at least in a way where they clearly understand it uh, and in a way that is um, righteous and moral. Because you see, they're not going to understand it in the terminology that the Bible teaches it in because they've never seen it or heard it. They go to school, they see a totally different morality. They turn on the television, they see a totally different morality. They go to work, they're around a totally different morality. And so we have to teach them a biblical morality. If we're not going to be biblical, then we don't need to exist. And let's just, let's just be honest. If we're not going to be biblical, let's don't exist. He said, well, we need room for grace. Let me tell you something. The Bible's got all the room for grace you need. But when the Bible says we need to go beyond and in grace take some action, we ought to take action in grace. And so just like you would of your children. Your children messes up. You love them, don't you? You really do. You want the best for them. You want them to grow up to be the very best they can be in this world. But sometimes you have to beat the daylights out of them. You say, well, that don't sound like grace. Oh, it is. It's grace. It's grace. It's mercy too, okay? It's both. Because what you're doing is that you're bringing them to a place to where they can be all God wants them to be. If they think they can just get by with everything in life and there's no consequences to anything they do, they'll continue to do that all their life. And as a result, they'll have stacks of things in their life that can never be erased. Can I get a witness? So we're talking about those never-ending happenings when, they, when we jump the gun on God. When we jump the gun on God. Or what happens when we refuse to wait on God. Um, waiting on God is, a, is, a, is the test of our faith. And so if you can't wait on God, then your faith is weak. And so God sometimes will have us wait. And that's what this is about. So we, I think, have covered verses 1 through 4. Uh, we have covered that pretty thoroughly up until this moment. And then I stopped in the middle of that and began to explain the eternal consequences, at least the um, earthly consequences of sin down here. You know, we're talking about Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarah at this time. Their names had not been changed. And how that God had promised Abram that they would have a son and that that would be the messianic seed, and he would have a covenant with all people, and his seed would be multiplied, and there would be many. Well, things had not come to pass like um, Abram thought they should, and certainly not like Sarah had thought 
that they should. And so in verses 1 through 4, they came up with their earthly solution. And that was that since that Sarai could not seem to have a child by her husband, Abram. Now, you remember they're in their 80s now. And, and, and so that's not a normal occasion to be going to the birthing room at 80. And, and so they couldn't have a child so she gets kind of fleshly in her thinking and he goes along with it and they come up with a solution to fix that and the solution was that she would give her husband, Abram, her handmaid to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And she had no right to do that. Had no right to do that. And by the way, you can take your ring off in the back seat of a car. You can take your ring off and, and in some low-rate rendezvous hotel. You can do whatever you want to do to try to misidentify yourself with your mate, but you are still married to your mate in the eyes of God, and you don't get to give them to anybody. You don't share them with anybody. Nobody's to steal them from you, nor are you to allow them that that so-called privilege, all right? Y'all with me? But they tried it anyway. Now, she was an Egyptian, and so that was a representation of the world, so they decided they would just take this worldly solution. And when you, when you get a solution outside of God, it's always worldly. Mark that down, all right? And so she found a loophole. She said, go into my maid. That'll make it okay. She's my maid. So since she's my maid, she's identified with me. So you go into my maid and we'll work this thing out and we'll go ahead and help God fulfill his promises. Have you ever done that? Helped God fulfill his promises? That's what, they, that's what they're going to do. So they come up with their loophole and I stopped right there and kind of gave a couple of... Uh, you know, a couple of nights on marriage and how that sin comes to happen in our life and then how to fix it and how to, uh, once we have that sin that cannot be uh, erased. It's a separate sin. Sexual sin is different from any other kind of sin because it's a sin against the body, 1 Corinthians 6 says. You can't take care of that sin like you can every other sin. That sin leaves a scar an imprint in your flesh that you can never get rid of you just can't no matter how hard you try it will not ever go away and so now here we are thousands of years later we're still dealing with the arabic world we're still having problems with the arabic world and guess what we're going to have problems with the arabic world until jesus comes back so that was a sin that just kept on sinning, right? That was a sin that just kept on going. Didn't stop. Couldn't be stopped. Once you start something like that, you can't end it. Once you put something in someone's heart that breaks that heart, it is hard to ever fix that heart, especially in human relationships. And so that's what happens here. And I talked to you about how David was able to deal with his own personal sin and how we're to deal with ours. And how, what, was it, what was it I said that is the key for us to deal with that when we have that scar against us, when we have that sin against us, when we've sinned against God and we've sinned against our mate, what is our best way to deal with that? What do we renew? 
renew our mind, right? Renew our, renew, have you got one? Renew our, okay, talk to me, help me, all right? Renew our minds. It's a mental thing. That's why the devil attacks us here so harshly. We have to renew our mind. It is the only way you can deal with that. You cannot have a successful marriage after premarital or extramarital sex without renewing your mind. It's impossible. Impossible. So I taught you how to do that. And one of the things that God always linked with that was what? Lying. Remember? He always, when he said, if you're going to renew your spirit, you have to do what? Don't lie. Tell the truth. Start telling the truth. Don't lie. He associates renewing of your mind with not lying. In other words, if you're going to renew your mind, you have to have an honest mind. And if you have an honest mind, the only place you're going to get honesty is from who? God. Because the devil is a what? Liar and the father of all lies. So, there is, and I taught you that last week. And I, can I just, I don't know, I don't think, know whether this is in our notes or not, but write this down. When you get to where you can see the mate and not the mistake, then you are victorious. When you get to where you can see the mate and not the mistake, then you are victorious. That is, if the mate has been honest. Completely, thoroughly, totally honest. The mate that sinned, if they've been honest, when you get to where you can see the mate through a renewed mind instead of the mistake, then you can call yourself victorious. Are y'all okay with that? So, that's where we talked and that's kind of where we left off. And, and so tonight we're going to move on now as we look at number verse number 2 of chapter 16 where it says, Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, when he hearkened to the voice of Sarai, Abraham disobeyed God. God did not tell men to listen to his wife when a choice needed to be made. Maybe talk to his wife, maybe discuss it with his wife, but the choice and the decision was to be made not by the wife, but by the husband. And so, when this choice was made, look what happens here. Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. In other words, he flat got tired of listening to her. Just hush, woman, let's do it your way. Have you ever said that? I know you ain't got the courage to say if you did because you probably got the daylights knocked out of you when you did, but that's basically what he's saying. Just hush, we'll do, it, we'll do what you want to do. Now, Abram did the very same thing Adam did. Now, don't say you don't do it because we have, haven't we? We've, we, we, we need to put our big, big boy britches on again. You know, most of the troubles we have in our church, you know where it comes from? Women. Because the boys won't put their britches on. And you might all put on an extra pair of long handles just to make sure you got enough on. But Abraham didn't put his britches on. He let her wear the pants. And as a result, they made a mistake that could not ever stop. 
That's serious. Let's look at the second thing. Look at the fiery strife in verse five through, verse four through six. Well, here's where the hate starts to develop. There's three things we'll see, the bitterness, the blame, and the bondage. Fleshly solutions will produce painful, divisive, difficult things in your life. It just will. Verse 4 says it will create a bitterness in your life. Look at what the Bible says about it. The Bible said she was despised in her eyes. When she looked at her, she despised. Despised her. That word despised means she lost respect. She felt almost nothing for her mistress at all. Submission had totally been thrown out the door, and it was a chore for her to be submissive. She resented and she disrespected and she held in contempt that one who was to be her. One that she was to be working for. Fleshly solutions means we are unbiblical in our decision. And when we make a fleshly solution in the church, it's an unbiblical decision and it will bite us and it will bite us bigger than it does unless we deal with it now. And that same thing happened to you at your house too. And the same thing happened to you in your life too. Y'all with me? And so it will lead to disrespect. It will lead to bitterness. Sin breaks the mate's heart, but it also breaks God's heart. It breaks sometimes family members' hearts. But this particular sexual sin is a sin that hurts and creates bitterness. She had achieved something Sarah had not. Hagar had been able to do something Sarah could not. She was able to have a child by her husband. Her husband could do for her what he could not do for Sarah. And so there's a bitterness that sets in. Immoral affairs says this. This is why she felt like she did here in verse number four, why she despised her in her eyes. Immoral affairs says, I've gotten what I want and nobody can stop it. It's done. I got what I want. I got what I want. She didn't get what she wanted. And so as a result, it creates a bitterness that sets up and takes root. Here's what she's saying. My flesh has been fulfilled. My needs has been met, but hers has not. And she lost his respect. If sexual attraction will get you someone, then someone else's sexual attraction will get that someone for them. Yeah, those gigolos, they're out there. Oh, they 
they'll tell you they love you. They, uh, she'll say she loves you and, uh, and how sorry her husband is and how rotten her husband. He'll say he loves you and how sorry his wife is and how bad his wife is. But what they're really saying is I've got what I want and nobody stopped it. And it's a prideful, sinful attitude that takes place and a bitterness toward them. That comes in your heart. Look at second thing. Blame comes. Verse 5. Sarah, or Sarai, now blames Abraham. Let, let me just give you a, 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 a little help tonight. If you've got something going wrong in your marriage or something going wrong in your life, own your own sin. Own it. It's yours. Don't say, but I, w- I wouldn't have done that if. Uh, would you hush that mess up? God's not going to forgive you for that. Own your sin. And if somebody else in the matter sin, let them own theirs. Mm, I ain't getting over. Y'all upset at me already. Listen. You see, if you'll own your own sin, that means you have nobody to blame but you. So that means that you can go to God and take care of that. But if in that matter, some piece of that, you're trying to blame on somebody else, you can't go to God and get it right. So you're going to get bitter against your mate. You're going to even get worse bitter against your mate. You're going to get disrespectful against your mate. Things start happening against your mate that wouldn't have happened if you'd have just flat out owned your sin. This is me. Oh, God, I've sinned against you. But she blamed here, and as a result, there was that blame game that we always seem to play, that blame game. And reversal of roles will cause that. In other words, when the man don't put his britches on like he should and wear his big boy pants like he's supposed to, what happened is reversal of roles will cause disaster in the marriage. It will cause us to blame each other when things don't go right. If you'd have been the man, you ought to be, this wouldn't have happened. If you'd have been the woman, you ought to be, this wouldn't happen. Uh, can, can, just help me tonight. A little, just a little bit. Now, Methodists did better than y'all doing tonight. Listen, listen. I'm, I'm telling you the truth, and you need to tell your kids this. It might spare them a lot of hurt in their life. And it might spare their kids a lot of hurt in their life if somebody sat them down and told them some of this stuff. Because they're not, they don't believe it. They don't believe it. They get by with it one time. They think they've gotten by. They get by with it two times. They think they've gotten by. You, you let a married woman or a married man get by with it. They've gotten by. What can you do about it? You used to could go kill a man for having a sexual relationship with your wife. You can't do that now. He gets to go free. You go to jail. You can't deal with it. So you have to trust to bear your own burden of sin. If not, you'll be blaming each other the rest of your life. So it seems maybe that there's was some immoral, jealous implications here because notice the word that it uses here, thy bosom. Look in verse 5. My wrong be upon thee, I have given my maid into thy bosom. Uh, that word bosom here means that there was contact made, but not fruit necessarily every time. 
In other words, now Abraham had the right to continue his affection for this person. He had to continue the right with his contact with Hagar, but not necessarily have the fruit of it. And so that created a jealousy. Because he could do now what before he could not do. And if she blamed him, he could blame her. Because he went along with her decision. And look at the bondage it puts you in verse 6. Abraham wimps out again, and now Sarah's fired up. Look at verse 6. <laughs> Man, she's fired up. But Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. In other words, I'm tired of listening to you, woman. Please shut up. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her. You see, she was so hurt that she got hard. And when you are hurt so deep that you are hard, you will treat each other as if they are in bondage. Abram wimps out, and now Sarah's fired up, so she treats Hagar like a common slave. And Abraham had been treating her wifely. He'd been going to her tent. While Sarah fumed in hers. Ah, maybe they slipped around some. We don't know. If there's bondage. We've never seen Sarah like this before, have we? Have you ever seen her like this? I, I haven't. She couldn't stand this sin even though it had been 13 years. 13 years, and she couldn't stand the sin. That sin will never go away until it is completely, totally dealt with by the individual who committed it and with the person who it was committed against. She just got angrier and angrier. So here, can you just, can you imagine what, what it was like to be in that household? Hagar, she failed as a maid. Sarai, she failed as a mistress. And Abram, he failed as a man. So what you have here is a home that is an absolute failure. Y'all with me at all tonight? Here was Hagar, a stranger from Egypt, and Abram and Sarai had a chance to tell her and show her about a true and living God. They had a chance to tell her that she come from a pagan society and an ungodly society, but they worshiped the true God, the one God, the only God, Jehovah God. They had a chance to tell her that, but they showed her something else. You say, is that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked because it certainly is. Write Proverbs 30 down if you haven't got time to look at it. But Proverbs 30, verse number 21 says, For these three things the earth is disquieted and for it cannot bear. These are some things the world just can't bear. Listen to what it says. For a servant when he reigneth and a 
fool when he's filled with meat and for an odious. That means a hateful or unpleasant woman when she is married. That means she's bittered up. And a handmaid that is heir to this mistress. You can flop that around for the man. If the shoe was on the other foot, you can flop that around for the man. There's nothing that makes the home any more miserable. The earth can't stand it. Now look at the third thing. Look at the, look at the, the matter of the faithful stranger here in verses 7 through 10. You say, Brother Ben, what if we are in a situation like that? How do we deal with ourselves? Well, I may throw this in a minute in just a moment as we work our way through these verses in the next 10, in the next 10 or 15 minutes. But first of all, you have to, to even survive immoral failure. You have to see your mate as another person. This is not the woman I married. This is not the man I married. This is the woman that God has saved and changed and forgiven and filled with the Spirit of God and is showing it every day in their life. This is the man who God forgive and saved and changed and is showing it every day in his life. The only way you have any chance of dealing with the failed marriage because of immorality is to see your mate as a new person. I'm just telling you. If you don't find yourself with a new man or a new woman, there's not much hope for your marriage. That makes sense? So she left with hard feelings about Abram's God. Abram's God's supposed to be a loving God. Abram's God's supposed to be a great God. Abram's God's supposed to be a peaceful God. Abram's God's supposed to be a helpful God. Abram's God's supposed to be a sovereign, mighty God. And she leaves upset at Abram's God because of what's happened to her. And wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be upset if the God that you'd been told about was so wonderful and glorious and now you'd been treated like a common dog just used for breeding purposes only and then run off with a 13-year-old boy? Being run off with a 13-year-old boy is punishment enough right there. There she's gone. Look at this fleeing sinner in verse 6. She ran. She ran. Look what it is. It says she ran. She fled from her face. You know, you can't flee all your problems. And especially if you're pregnant, you can't flee a pregnancy. Oh, you say, I'll terminate my pregnancy. No, you won't. That life lives. You're not going to get rid of that life. When you get to heaven, if you get there, there that life will still be. You better make sure you get saved and your life will still be when you get there, if you get there. See, you can't run from those kind of things. You can't run from your bitterness and your hurt and your loneliness and your homeliness and your distance that had been placed there by the mate. You, you, you can't do that. You see, only the, in my opinion, you can't ever go back, but you can go on. Now, you've got to deal with what was back there or you'll never go on. But when you deal with what was back there, you can go on. But you can't go back, but you can go on. 
That's good preaching, Brother Glenn. The Methodists knew it, but I don't know where Hillcrest does. Get this tonight. Listen, it's not perfect in your marriage when things is forgiven, but it's much better. It'll never be perfect. It'll never be what it could be, but it's much better. Problems develop on your job. Well, I'll just go get me another job. What are you going to do about what's in your heart? I just can't work this job no more. I just can't. I just can't stand this job no more. Listen, listen. it may not be the job, maybe you. you. You can't run from those kinds of things. They just follow you to the next job, and they don't like you down there either. Can I get a witness? It's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, and, and in your marriage, you say, I, I don't like the way my marriage is, so I'm going to dismiss this marriage, and I'm going to go have me another marriage, and I'm going to move on. No, you won't. No, no. You can't just throw that other one away and forget it like it never happened. Can't do it. You can try, but you can't do it. Now, there are forever problems that come from these kind of sins. And as I've studied these over the years and I've looked at how God said how to deal with it, here's one thing that there has to be an agreement between husband and wife or wife and husband, whoever, whoever uh, committed the sin. There's the victim of the sin and then there's the one who committed the sin. And both of those have to agree, listen, we're a new man and we're a new woman now. We've been saved by the grace of God. But the devil is eating our lunch right now, and we need to settle some things. And when you do that, in my opinion, only the sinful mate can make it right. If there's a willingness on neither's part to make it right, it cannot be made right. So that means at that point you have to be completely honest about whatever whatever has come up. You've got to be honest and you've got to voluminously tell the story. And, and, and so, be honest. Secondly, you've got to answer all the questions. Even if it's 13 years later, you answer the questions. Answer the questions. How was it over there in that tent? Huh? Was that tent better than our tent? And then thirdly, there has to be some true remorse and brokenness shown in your heart and life before the other person will ever buy into the fact that there's been forgiveness here. Because now you have a new woman or a new man. Does that make sense? That's why God says stay away from lying. It doesn't matter where it's 13 years, 5 years, 20 years, 30 years. You remember, you know why Moses had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years? because he didn't get right with God about the thing he did 40 years ago. 40 years he wanted to wilderness. God couldn't use him because he wouldn't wait on God. God said, I'm going to deliver my people, but I'm not going to do it until the Amorite sin is filled up. 400 years and then I'll deal with it. But you leave it alone until I get ready to deal with it. But Moses didn't leave it alone. He took it on himself. And for 40 years on the backside of the desert, he was worthless to God. 
And look how she runs. Years go by and time goes by and the blame is going on. And then verse 7, look, the Savior is not very far behind. He finds her. First time in Scripture we find the angel of the Lord. You see where it says, the angel of the Lord found her? Aren't you, don't, don't underline that. The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, in the fountain by the way of sure. Do you see that? You see, that's the first time in the scripture we see the angel of the Lord. Now, when you see the angel of the Lord, here's what you're seeing. You're seeing the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. You're seeing Jesus Christ before Bethlehem. You say, how do you know that? Because you can't see God apart from Jesus Christ. And so he's called in the Old Testament, the, not a, not one of, but the angel of the Lord. Y'all with me? And when Samson's mom and dad called him that, the Bible said, we've seen God. We've seen God. And so, this is God, the pre-incarnate. Look, look, look at his promise in verse number 10. Look, look what he promises there in verse number 10. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And folks, you can go to any Arab country in this world, and you know that's true. They're everywhere. Sand's crawling with them. I guess I'll get letters on that one, won't I? They're everywhere. Everywhere. And so, but the thing I like about it, look at verse 13. She calls him Lord, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the, shall be. Yeah, you see. You see, she did what we did. A lot of times we say, well, I'm glad I found Jesus. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. You wasn't even looking for Jesus. He found you. Aren't you glad he did? Now, when he found you, you didn't have to take him. You could have run him off. You could have said no. You could have told, you could have said what that boy said to me tonight. I'm not interested in that stuff. I don't believe in none of that stuff. I don't care. We don't know what's out there, but I don't want none of it. You can do that if you want to, but he loves you so much. He found you, and he found me. Thank God he did, because I was running fast. I could from him. So here was a narrow road laid back behind them in the Broadway of Egypt ahead of them, and Jesus found her just in time. Whew, isn't that good? Now, I got to quit. I got, I got two minutes. Look at the forgiven sinner, verse 8 and 9. And I'm going to pick this back up here next week. Submission to the Lord's plan will and was her salvation. Look at verse 8. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's handmaid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? In other words, where'd you come from? Where are you going? Huh? Where are you going? Where are you going? You, 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 you think there's a 747 about to take off out here? Where are you going? Where are you going? Look, she said, I flee from the face of my mistress there. And I don't care where I'm going. I'm just getting away from my little heifer. I, that, well, she didn't say it like that. But she said, I'm getting away from Sarah. In her mind, that's what she was, just an old heifer. Mean old heifer. 
and the angel of the Lord said, return, get this, get this, don't miss this, and I'm through. I'll have to quit right here, and got no time. My, my time is gone. Y'all have been the slowest listening crowd ever on Wednesday night. Listen to what it said. Return to thy mistress. Woo! The one who hates you, the one who beat you, the one who mistreated you, the one who talked to you like a dog, go back to her. And then look, and submit thyself under her. You know the answer to every one of our problems? Submission to the answer of the Lord. You want to fix your marriage? Submit. You say, well, I would, but my husband won't. God didn't ask you what your husband was going to do. He said, you submit. And when you read 1 Peter chapter number 3 that we talked about last week, what did God keep saying to do? Submit. Then when he gets to the end, he tells the husband to submit. You're not the person who tells him to submit. God tells you submit, then God tells him to submit. And when we both submit, it works. And when you got saved, you know how you got saved? You submitted. You know what you did? You quit running. You quit running. And you said, where am I going? (laughs) I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. Where am I going? I'm glad one day I looked up and said, where in the world am I going? I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going straight to hell. And God, if you don't come into my life and change me, I'll burn forever and eternity. And God caught me just in time before I hit that broad road that leads to destruction. And God got me on an arrow road that leads to everlasting life. Don't y'all love that? 